This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of incomplete spinal cord injuries from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Last week, we covered spinal cord injuries overall, which you should check out if you missed it, but this episode will specifically focus on the different types of incomplete spinal cord injuries. Incomplete spinal cord injuries are defined as spinal cord injury with some preserved motor or sensory function below the injury level, including voluntary anal contraction, which is otherwise referred to as sacral sparing. And remember, sacral sparing is critical to separate complete versus incomplete spinal cord injury. Other ways to separate complete and incomplete spinal cord injuries include palpable or visible muscle contraction below the injury level or the presence of perianal sensation both of which signify incomplete spinal cord injuries. As far as epidemiology, there are 11,000 new cases of spinal cord injuries per year in the United States. 34% of these are incomplete tetraplegia, in which central cord syndrome is the most common. 17% of the annual cases are incomplete paraplegia, and the remaining 47% are complete spinal cord injuries. As far as prognosis, the most important prognostic variable relating to neurologic recovery is completeness of the lesion, that is the severity of the neurologic deficit. Now to go over some relevant anatomy, remember the descending tracts are motor and include the lateral corticospinal tract and the ventral corticospinal tract, while the ascending tracts are sensory and include the dorsal columns which are responsible for deep touch, vibration, and proprioception. The ascending tracts also include the lateral spinal thalamic tract, which is responsible for pain and temperature. And finally, the ventral spinal thalamic tract is responsible for light touch. Incomplete spinal cord injuries are clinically classified as anterior cord syndrome, bronsoquard syndrome, central cord syndrome, or posterior cord syndrome, which we'll discuss in more detail in this episode. But before we get into those, let's quickly review the Asia Impairment Scale, which we also reviewed in the spinal cord injuries episode, but because it's very likely that you'll be asked a question about spinal cord injuries and classifying them according to the Asia classification system, let's go over it one more time. So the Asia system, or the American Spinal Injury Association system, is pretty simple. Write down A, B, C, D, and E. Just remember E is normal, or remember the mnemonic strong as an Asian elephant, so an Asia grade E has normal motor and sensory function. On the other end of the spectrum, an Asia A is absolutely no motor or sensory. So this is a complete spinal cord injury, and therefore there is no motor or sensory function preserved in the sacral segments S4 to S5. Now halfway in between an Asia A and an Asia E is an Asia C, which is an incomplete spinal cord injury defined as less than 50% of the muscles are grade 3 or above. So motor function is preserved below the neurological level, and more than half of the key muscles below the neurological level have a muscle grade less than 3. And Asia D is also an incomplete spinal cord injury that is defined as greater than 50% of the muscles being a grade 3 or above. So again, motor function is preserved below the neurological level, and at least half of the key muscles below the neurological level have a muscle grade of 3 or more. Finally, an Asia B is also an incomplete spinal cord injury, and remember, B for barely anything, as it is basically sensory only. So sensory function is preserved, but not motor function, below the neurological level, and includes the sacral segments S4 to S5. Okay, so now let's get into the different incomplete spinal cord injury syndromes. We'll start with central cord syndrome, which is the most common incomplete spinal cord injury. 
This is often seen in the elderly with minor extension injury mechanisms and is usually due to anterior osteophytes and a posterior infolded ligamentum flavum. As far as the pathophysiology, central cord syndrome is believed to be caused by spinal cord compression and central cord edema with selective destruction of the lateral corticospinal tract white matter. The anatomy of the spinal cord explains why the upper extremities and the hand is preferentially affected because remember the hands and upper extremities are located centrally in the corticospinal tract. With respect to the presentation of central cord syndrome, you may see weakness with hand dexterity, which tends to be the most affected. You may also see hyperpathia, which is burning in the distal upper extremity. Physical exam will typically show motor deficit worse in the upper extremity than the lower extremity, but you will likely see some preserved motor function. The hands tend to have more pronounced motor deficit than the arms. And remember that central cord syndrome patients will have sacral sparing. A late clinical presentation of central cord syndrome is that the upper extremities will have lower motor neuron signs, making patients clumsy, and that the lower extremity will have upper motor neuron signs, making patients spastic. Again, late clinical presentation of central cord syndrome is the upper extremities will have lower motor neuron signs, making patients clumsy, and the lower extremities will have upper motor neuron signs, making patients spastic. Treatment for central cord syndrome can be non-operative versus operative. However, this is extremely controversial. As far as prognosis, there is good prognosis, although full functional recovery is rare. Usually patients will be ambulatory at final follow-up, and patients will usually regain bladder control, but as far as upper extremity and hand recovery, this is unpredictable, and patients often have permanent clumsy hands. Usually recovery for central cord syndrome occurs in a typical pattern. The lower extremity recovers first, bowel and bladder function next, proximal upper extremity after that, and then hand function will be the last to recover. Moving on to anterior cord syndrome, this is a condition characterized by motor dysfunction and dissociated sensory deficit below the level of the spinal cord injury. With respect to the pathophysiology, injury to the anterior spinal cord is usually caused by direct osseous compression of the anterior spinal cord. It may also be secondary to anterior spinal artery injury. And remember that the anterior two-thirds of the spinal cord is supplied by the anterior spinal artery. The mechanism of anterior cord syndrome is usually the result of a flexion-slash-compression injury. On exam, the lower extremity is affected more than the upper extremity, unlike central cord syndrome, and you will see loss of lateral corticospinal tract, which, remember, is a motor tract, and you will also see loss of the lateral spinal thalamic tract, which, remember, is responsible for pain and temperature. In anterior cord syndrome, the dorsal columns will be preserved, and remember the dorsal columns are responsible for proprioception and vibratory sense. As far as prognosis, anterior cord syndrome has the worst prognosis of an incomplete spinal cord injury. It is most likely to mimic complete cord syndrome. However, there is a 10 to 20% chance of motor recovery. Moving on to Brown-Saquard syndrome, this is caused by complete cord hemitransection. It is usually seen with penetrating trauma. On exam, you will find an ipsilateral defect of motor function due to the injury of the lateral cortical spinal tract, as well as deficit to proprioception and vibratory sense due to injury of the dorsal columns. You will also find contralateral deficit of pain and temperature because of injury to the lateral spinal thalamic tract. Remember, spinal thalamic tracts cross at the spinal cord level, classically two levels below. 
So again, in Brown-Saquard syndrome, you will see ipsilateral motor as well as proprioception and vibratory sense deficits secondary to injury of the lateral corticospinal tract and dorsal columns respectively. And you will also see contralateral deficits of pain and temperature secondary to injury of the lateral spinothalamic tract. As far as prognosis of Brown-Saquard syndrome, there is an excellent prognosis as 99% of patients are ambulatory at final follow-up. Brown-Saquard syndrome, therefore, has the best prognosis for functional motor activity. Finally, posterior cord syndrome is very rare. Exam will show loss of proprioception. However, motor, pain, and light touch will be preserved. That's all for this review about incomplete spinal cord injuries. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.